Hello, my name's Andrew Skipper. I'm head of the Africa practice at Hogan Lovells, and I have wide-ranging Africa experience from business to art and culture. I'm co-vice chair of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art, and I'm now co-chair of the UK government's Africa Investors Group. This is the fourth series of the A Perspective podcast, in which I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors alongside key cultural influences, people who are deeply committed to building the continent and spreading the word and vision in a diverse way. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but at the same time, they're spotting and delivering on enormous opportunities. So today I turn to the critical area of private equity and venture capital on the continent. And who better to discuss this than Abby Mustafa Madouakal. Abby is the Chief Executive Officer of the Africa Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, which we all know as AVCA, and brings years of strategic leadership, financial and investment management and operational management to the role. Prior to this, she was Head of Business Operations and Finance at MedAccess, which is a subsidiary of CDC, which focuses on providing innovative finance to facilitate access to medicines across Africa and Asia. And in addition to her previous leadership roles in Africa as Chief Operating Officer, she was Special Advisor to the Minister of Industry, Trade and Investment in Nigeria, where she focused on programs and policies to spur private sector investment and SME growth. AVCA recently published their regular Africa Private Equity Industry Survey. So this is a really great chance to talk to Abby. So welcome today, Abby, to this podcast. Great. Thank you, Andrew. Um, it's great to be here. Thanks. And it's, it's really good to speak to you, Abby, because you've recently taken on leadership of AVCA in, frankly, quite difficult circumstances with the pandemic. Can you give me a little bit of background to the organization for those listeners who don't know it well and how you believe it adds value to the sector and promotes investment into Africa. And where's been your focus in the last months during the pandemic? Sure, so just a bit of background. AVCA mm. is the Pan-African industry body that focuses on promoting private investment in Africa. So we were founded in 2000 by FMO, the Dutch DFI and Africa Invest. Mm. Then it was known as Tunis Invest. And we're member supported, so we're a membership body. And we operate across four verticals, the first being research, so what we provide for the industry is data and research. We track funds, mm. fund managers, deals and exits on the continent. The second vertical is training. So we're very big on capacity building. We provide various training programs to accelerate domestic capital into private equity. So we do training programs for African pension funds and other institutional investors um, for emerging managers and also for uh, legal professionals. The third vertical is networking. So we provide ample opportunities for the industry to convene through our annual conference, which pre-COVID, we used to move <laughs> across the continent and host it in indeed. different countries, but that just seems like a lifetime. Uh, it does again. indeed. Um, yeah. uh, I know. <laughs> but aside <laughs> from that big annual conference, we, we try to convene the industry, you know, in smaller roundtables, other gatherings, just so, you know, there can be cross-fertilization of ideas, knowledge exchange. Yeah. And the final thing is advocacy. This is where we try and work with government bodies, regulators, policymakers to really um, communicate uh, the needs of the industry and, you know, work with them to try and create an enabling environment for PE to grow. That's us in a nutshell. But um, i just like to say we see ourselves as really just a conduit for any stakeholder that's engaged in or interested in investing in private equity in, in, in Africa, in private investment in Africa. 
Oh, that's that. That's great. And obviously, I get your um, with me, you're on the Africa Investors Group, which is which, yeah, which is a which is a good example of that. So, picking up the second question is around the focus. Because I've taken on this role in February, um, kind of my focus since starting yeah. has really been to continue <laughs> supporting our members across the various verticals that um, yeah. I had described. Um, continuing to advocate for and make the case for investing in Africa. So that's not just globally, but also on the continent. And like I said, that piece around unlocking domestic capital. So that's really been a focus that's been uh, my primary focus since February. Also providing innovative ways for members to convene, like I said earlier, to discuss practical issues, because that's been difficult mm -hmm. with the pandemic. And that's something that our membership has told us that they've really missed. And most importantly, just we focus on providing and sharing best practice resources uh, for members on the fund manager side on how to isolate and protect their portfolio companies and for other types of members, how, to, how they can adapt to this new COVID era, how to protect cash flow um, and other best practice resources. So we see ourselves as a knowledge hub as well, and we've tried to play that role throughout the pandemic. I mean, I know you've just re I referenced your your survey earlier. So, what and and from your own personal experience and also the survey, what are the key themes you see as being relevant post pandemic to Africa? And are you and your members optimistic about the level of appetite to invest in Africa now? Yes, I'll probably start with the second question. Are we optimistic? Mm. Yes, um, I'm optimistic. Probably slightly biased because. Um, I really see the potential in the continent. Um, mm. So my view, you know, it, it is skewed. Um, but I think our members in general, they're really optimistic. And I'll tackle, when I say our members, I'll tackle it um, in a two-pronged way. So when I think yeah. of the fund managers that are currently investing in Africa, yes, there is still appetite. They are excited. Um, there's an uptick. There has been an uptick in activity, particularly this year. And fund managers are really ready to continue deploying capital. What we saw most of last year, as I alluded to earlier, was them really working hard with their portfolio companies to insulate them from the economic shock that you know was the dreadful pandemic and minimize yeah. the impact of the pandemic, supporting them with human capital, supply chain, and just other cash protection mechanisms. So now you know, cut to where we are now, there is ample capital to deploy and fund managers are really thinking about investing again. And if we look at on the LP side, we recently did our industry survey, it's the fourth year that we've done this survey. And what we heard from LPs is over 80% of LPs, you know, wanted to maintain or increase their allocation to Africa. So that's really positive. It shows yeah, that in spite of what's happened yeah. in the pandemic, you know, they're still, you know, positive about Africa. If I can just touch on some of the data from our data tracker that we no, released. That, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Sure. So we had um, 3.4 billion worth of deals in 2020 and just slightly lower than 2019. I think just about 500 million lower, which in itself is incredible. If you think about it, we started the pandemic in March and loads of African countries went into lockdown thereafter. The fact that we were still able to deploy that amount of capital and deals on the continent, that's in itself, I think it's fantastic. On the flip side of things, of course, fundraising, there was a hit to fundraising. Um, we had about 1.2 million, um, 1.2, sorry, billion um, 
dollars in final closes, fundraising vis-a-vis -vis 3.9 billion the year before. Again, that's not surprising. Fundraising in an environment where you can't meet with your LPs and your LPs have to do virtual due diligence, that in itself is a challenge. But what we started seeing is that there were a number of first closes and we've seen this year already quite a few first closes as well. So again, I'm optimistic about the industry. But what was really interesting is although the amount of capital that was deployed last year was less than 2019, the number of deals was actually more. So I think we had just over 250 deals in 2020 versus about 230 in 2019. And really, the, the reason for this um, difference is because we had a lot more deals, a lot more smaller deals, early stage deals in 2020. I think that's no surprise uh, because there's a lot more activity in the early stage kind of investment stage of things. There's a lot more venture capital activity going on in Africa. That's a really interesting space right now, which I can touch on a little bit later in the conversation. So I guess just to wrap up, Andrew, in terms of, I think, yes, members are optimistic from the GP and the LP side. And even some of the professional service firms that we've spoken yeah. to said that they've also seen yeah, yeah. an uptick, as you can probably attest to, in activity. Yes, that's true. In terms of the themes, you know, our reports are showing that North Africa and West Africa are still, you know, very, like, regionally preferred destinations, not just by GPs in terms of where GPs are deploying capital, but where LPs um, think, um, where LPs are interested in as well. And, you know, we've got the usual in North Africa. We've got Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, and in West Africa, Nigeria is still leading the way with um, Ghana mm. and Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and we can talk about sectors of interest a little bit later, but I guess my final point that I will make is, for me, what's interesting is the global interest in Africa. So I read at the start of the year that a Japanese venture capital fund, um, uncovered fund, they were launching a fund to invest in early stage startups in Africa. And I've also been hearing rumors about some US VC funds eyeing some investments in Africa as well. So I think this is really positive yeah. um, that we're getting, the continent is getting a lot of interest from global players. And I think this is testament to the fact that there's ample opportunity in Africa. Yeah, I think that, and I think that global point is is really interesting. The more because I I agree with you, and you're seeing much more diverse spread of interest from across the world, which has to be has to be good for Africa, frankly, in the long run. You reference sectors, and I'm very interested. And I know you had a, you've had a couple of reports recently on I think the healthcare and the tech sector, I believe. Um, what, what are the sectors you see your members most excited by, and why do you think this is? I mean, I was really interested about the. The, the number of deals you said going up last year, which is quite counterintuitive, to be honest. So where are you seeing um, in, interest and excitement in, in which sectors at the moment? Yeah, so I think I'll, I'll address this question in two ways. So I'll talk about where yeah. we've seen um, kind of capital being deployed last yeah. year and what we're hearing in terms of where people want to deploy capital this year. Yes, so yes. Looking back retrospectively, our data shows us that almost, I think 40% of all of the deals were in three main sectors. And they're no surprise, Andrew, this is what's been happening, financials, consumer discretionary, consumer staples. When we look at the sectors that almost flourished um, with COVID, yes. it's industries like food. I mean, agriculture did very well, digital infrastructure, e-commerce, and other tech-supported consumer industries. So 
that's not surprising to me that we're seeing a massive concentration of deals in financials, consumer discretionary and staples. But obviously, and that's deals by value, so the number of deals. When we look at the size of the transactions that we're seeing, we're seeing a lot more of the bigger deals in the utilities and the energy space. And again, that's not surprising. What's interesting, however, is within the financials, almost 70% of those deals are fintech deals. Okay. So that yeah. gets really interesting. Yeah. That's really yeah. showing us kind of where a lot of the deals are happening in the finance space on the continent. And I, I can name two, and I'm not biased because I'm Nigerian. It's just because they're two really large ones. I mean, we saw in the pandemic, we saw <laughs> Paystack being acquired by Stripe. We, we also saw Flutterwave raise a fantastic CEC. So we're seeing a lot of this stuff in the fintech space, which is, which is great. Now, in terms of what our members, GPs and LPs are excited about, it's, it's not a coincidence that we did two reports on healthcare and technology um, because mm. when we did our industry survey, um, GPs said that they were most interested in healthcare and life sciences sectors and then LPs said that they were most interested in GPs investing in healthcare and technology. So we think those two sectors, albeit very broad, are very interesting. And I'm almost saying watch the space there. I think more broadly, unsurprisingly, so Andrew, tech-enabled sectors will be interesting because they're wide-reaching yes. and because of COVID. So when I say tech-enabled, you know, it's the usual edutech, agri-tech, health tech, mm. fintech. Um, there's an interesting transaction that um, ECP, they and LeapFrog, I think it was, invested in Zipline. Not sure if you know Zipline. They're the drone delivery services for yes. healthcare products. will be interesting to see, you know, over here in England and in Western countries, we transition quite easily to education, so homeschooling. So I'm foreseeing a lot of kind of innovations around um, digitizing education and investments there on the continent. I think there's some rumblings that we've been hearing around that space, around edutech, so I think that will be interesting. I mentioned yeah. healthcare yeah. earlier, but I think it's across the entire gamut of healthcare, across the value chain. So basically, from health, actual practitioners, so hospitals, to pharma, to health services, and basically anything to improve health systems on the continent is interesting. And my final point will be you can't ignore infrastructure. So I'm talking about hard infrastructure yeah. and digital infrastructure, primarily because, you know, as, as we all know, Andrew, the infrastructure deficit is really wide and it's growing yeah. on the continent. So I think with that challenge presents opportunities for investors to come in and close that deficit through hard infrastructure and also through digital infrastructure. We're seeing a lot of deals um, in those spaces as well. Yeah, no, no, that's um, that's a really good summary, I think. I'm just stepping back a bit, maybe. Um, there's plenty of other places in the world where people can stick their cash, and uh, although people are optimistic, um, what just very, very briefly in summary, what do you see as the selling points for you know if you're selling the continent, how would how would you sell it at the moment? And do you think? And secondly, just picking up the people talk a lot about the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Are you seeing your members talking about that, or as a relevant factor in investment at the moment? So really, you know, sell sell, sell me Africa to your members. Well, it's the best well. continent in the world. Yeah, that's what I've got to say. <laughs> no, uh, but obviously, uh, yeah. like I said earlier, <laughs> I, I'm biased. But no, I don't think I'm biased. I think the continent has a lot of potential. I'll reference mm. something David Rubenstein said in his 
opening keynote at the conference and he said, yes. you know, I'm very positive and bullish about Africa. I'm so keen to invest in Africa. I don't want to tell anyone so that they're not onto the secret. And I'm paraphrasing essentially. And I just thought that's it, right? It's an so you're it's not you're not going to tell us. It's so it's so obvious. You're not going to tell us, and so you can keep it all to yourself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you because yes. I'll be fair. Thank you. I, I will tell you. Just just just, um, just, tell, just tell me confidentially. Whilst we're I'll on. tell you, and then let's not tell anyone else. Yeah. yeah. But in, in fairness, I think it, it's the same old rhetoric that we've been saying for a while. If we look at the fundamental economics of the continent the vast amount of arable land, you can grow practically anything on the continent. The abundance of solid minerals under the earth, the young population, young workforce, the rising middle class who are essentially the consumers and the sheer entrepreneurialism on the continent. I think those characteristics alone make Africa, and I, I don't like saying Africa because it's made up of, you know, of very, very unique countries, yes. but the continent as a whole, I think it's really, really special and is really prime for investors to come and tap into some of the unique qualities of the continent. So how would I sell Africa? I would give just the macro fundamentals of the continent. Um, I would also say that, you know, investing in Africa, yes, you might get the same returns as in other regions, or, you know, typically when I speak to U.S. investors and they say, well, why would I invest in Africa when I can get the same returns investing in USP? So to a certain class of investors, I would say it's about diversification and impact. Yes. So our industry survey, when we surveyed a um, cohort of LPs, they identified impact and investment mandate, mandate as the top two reasons why they allocate to Africa. So if you're an investor that's looking for impact, investing in Africa is the way to go because these investments, they touch on a wide range of metricies. You know, they touch on gender inclusion, community development, job creation, poverty reduction, all of the things that if you're interested in impact and kind of the impact of your investment, it makes sense to invest in Africa. Additionally, kind of PE specifically investors, African PE investors, started the adoption of ESG in their investment considerations years ago, way ahead of the curve, in my opinion, by, because of the fact that DFIs primarily fund, um, um, you know, we know this, fund the African PE industry. Yes. And they had all these ESG reporting requirements. Yeah. So African PE fund managers had incorporated ESG principles into their investments ages ago before it became such a hot topic that it is now. So those environmental, those social, those governance considerations were taken in when doing investments. So again, if you're interested in the impact of your dollar, essentially, um, Africa is a place to go. We did a job study years ago. Now it's, it's quite outdated. I think it's 2017 that showed over 20,000 jobs were created within five years by African PE. And these were direct jobs we were counting. Mm. If we look at indirect jobs, I mean, the number could just be you know it, it could be astronomical so just picking on do you feel that uh, the PE sector promotes that aspect of what it's doing well enough because in some parts of the world private equity has quite a bad reputation in terms of its short-termism what you're talking about is long-term impact I mean do you think that that's uh, 
that's something which which the sector and your and your members are focusing a lot more on with you know cop 26 coming up and things like that and cop 27 being in africa is that something which you feel they're focusing on and trumpeting as it were more at the moment it's an interesting question i think they are um we could probably promote it a bit more and i think this is where an association like ours becomes really important mm. Because part of our job, like, you know, to the, to the question you asked me earlier, how would you sell Africa? Part of our job is to bring some of these case studies to light and um, promote this across the wider international um, investment community. So I think our members are doing that. You know, a lot of them are doing lots of interesting, to your point about COP26, a lot of them are doing lots of interesting deals yeah. in climate-friendly um, organizations. I have a few that I can give an example. Alithia invested in Spark Meter, uh, and they provide kind of off-grid management services, equipment and software to increase um, access to reliable electricity in underserved communities across three geographies, um, Africa, Asia, and America. So that's a really interesting investment. We've also seen a lot of investments in solar plants and other renewables. Meridium, they're a member of Af um, Africa, they did an investment in two solar plants in Senegal. I'll be seeing increasing focus on renewable investment by the likes of Metier and their second fund, their sustainable capital fund. So I think the investments are there um, and our members are investing in either climate friendly or social friendly um, investments. But to your point about are they chiming and you know spreading the gospel about what they're doing, perhaps not as much. But I think this is also, like I said, because they have been doing this for years, they have been investing in these businesses that, you know, transform communities, that increase financial inclusion, that reduce poverty. And they've been doing it for years and they see it as part of kind of their day-to-day -day business. So perhaps they haven't been um, yeah. yeah, promoting it as much. But this is where, like I said earlier, this is where we come yeah, in. Yeah, so, and I think it's something which Africa can certainly usefully do and i think pick, picking up the point you make about where where a lot of the funds comes well a lot of the funds come from essentially you and i through our dfis so that's quite interesting and i don't think a lot a lot of people don't know that fact i think one of the things i've been i've been picking up on and i was talking to to lead zedze about this from standard bank is the whilst you whilst the sector may be investing in impact how how diverse is the sector sufficiently diverse in your view to succeed for the long term, and what 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 are you doing to promote diversity within within the sector itself in terms of fund managers and the like? That's a really good question, and it's a really hard one to answer because it depends what you mean by diversity. Yeah, yeah if you, if you could pick up gender diversity amongst that as well, that would help. Sure. So before I go into kind of the fund manager diversity, I'll talk about kind of because we, we, we alluded to it earlier, I'll talk about kind of the LP diversity, because I think that's the first thing. So as we said, a lot of capital that's going into private equity in Africa is concentrated, by, is provided by DFIs. So there is a need to diversify the LP base in general and have more commercial capital, particularly from Africa investing in pre-E, because I think that's how the industry will be sustainable. We have a lot of pension fund assets on the continent, um, and we just need to unlock that a little bit more. So as an association, we need to work with pension funds across Africa to understand what the barriers are to them deploying capital and to help them kind of 
overcome these barriers and to help to work with them to mitigate some of the risks of investing in PE. So that's kind of from diversifying the LP base. Um, yep. So that the amount of capital that flows into the industry is sustainable yeah. and the DFIs. Yeah, yeah. And then on the fund manager side, um, we're seeing increasingly more. So when I look at gender diversity, I'm looking at it two prongs. I'm looking at gender lens investing and yes. kind of investing in female-led businesses. So GLI, as you know, Andrew, it's such a hot topic right now, which is great. Uh, yep. There are some guys that have been doing this for a while that started before it became such a hot topic, like a Lithia Identity mm -hmm. Fund. Um, so that's great. So we're getting a lot more fund managers that are um, looking to do gender lens investing. I still think there is work to do. Um, the 2X challenge has been brilliant. Um, you know, all of the DFIs coming together to commit to deploy capital towards women empowerment. I think that's been great. And currently we're working with a 2X challenge on some programs to, to increase and support kind of emerging female fund managers. So I think that would be important there. I think in terms of investing in female-led businesses by, say, generalist funds, just as an example, I think um, the importance of gender-balanced teams is increasing. Mm. I think we still have a lot of work to do right, to close the gender gap on the continent in general. But I think that the will is there. And I think more and more fund managers from speaking to them, and again, I'm speaking anecdotally because we haven't produced data to support yeah, yeah. this, yeah. but more and more fund managers are more conscious about investing in gender-balanced teams like in portfolio companies. Um, so I think that consciousness is there. From the consciousness, it switches to intentionality, and that's where I'm hoping we get to, where they're more intentional about it. Um, and I think it's a natural progression. We start with consciousness, it moves to intentionality, and then you actually do it, you see the results. Yes. So we're moving through those phases. So, so I'm, I'm hoping to see more kind of investments in female-led businesses and on the VC side in female-led founders as well. Okay, now it's, um, it's very, and I look forward to seeing your report on, of the Africa report on that in due course. I think it's, I, I think it's a fascinating and important area. I mean, I did, la last question, really. I mean, what? Just stepping back a bit again, really. What, what, what's the key positive you think we should be looking for in the next year from now? With you know, the, the, the COVID is still all over the place, but we're seeing glimmers of light in certain places, but there's still a, you know, a problem in distribution, notwithstanding COVAX. So what, what do you see the big positives are for, for the next year in, in Africa for your sector? Great question, Andrew. So I think on the GP side, I think what COVID has meant is a lot of GPs are looking at their investment strategy and we've seen mm. some changes of fine-tuning of strategies. So I think that's interesting. We'll probably... And the reason why I mention that is because we're seeing some interesting themes coming up like private credits, impact funds being raised, gender-focused funds being raised. And I think all of these things are positive because yeah. they're all needed. Uh, so the diverse investment strategy and also looking at other, yeah, no, I think more generally diverse investment strategies, that's a good thing. I think innovations are going to start coming from the continent, more innovative businesses that um, provide opportunity for particularly venture early stage capital to support them and grow these innovations. Because I think what COVID has forced everyone, it's not just in Africa, globally, mm. to think is how are we doing things? How can we optimize 
how we're doing things and kind of the gaps that COVID revealed in whether it's infrastructure or how we do things, what solutions can we develop to plug those gaps? And I think a lot of that innovation is going on on the continent at the moment. And because of that process, there are going to be a lot of businesses coming up that need finance. The third thing is I think the Africa Free, AFTA, but it sounds like AFTA when I say it, but AFTA. Af- what's Africa's view on Africa? Yes, I think it's a good question. <laughs> I know, it's not a tongue twister. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> AFTA, um, yeah. I think that presents a phenomenal opportunity personally. This is my personal view yeah. because I think for ages, if you were a business trying to expand regionally or trying to export on the continent, it is hard. It has been hard historically dealing with multiple regulations, multiple investment laws, minimum capital controls issue, and just no harmonized legal framework is really challenging. Some, because I come from the SME space, some exporters that I used to speak to used to say Mm. it was so much easier to export to Europe than it was to export within Africa. So AFTA presents a fantastic opportunity whereby if you're a private equity or venture capital fund and you're investing in a business, instantly part of your value creation strategy, you can start thinking about regional expansion as part of your value creation strategy or even as part of your exit strategy. So that Mm -hmm. in itself presents an opportunity. If you're a business, you can start thinking about export and your export focus, for instance. You You can start thinking about exporting regionally as well and that in itself presents great opportunities. Yeah. So I think AFTA presents a really fantastic opportunity not just for SMEs and businesses on the continent to expand, to grow, to increase their market access, but also for the investors that are investing in these businesses as well. So I guess I would summarize by saying the three positives that I'm seeing from COVID is evolving investment themes by fund managers that's covering different facets of diversity, which is great. Opportunities presented by AFTA uh, to increase market access and just for investors to think about kind of regional access as part of their value creation and exit strategy. And then the final thing, um, I would say just the innovations that are coming up from the continent. So how can we harness those? How can we funnel those? How can we make them investable? How can we invest in them and grow these businesses ultimately? Thank you so much. That was a really, really great um, final point and a great discussion altogether. So, Abby Mustafa Madwakor, Chief Executive of Avka, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. There's uh, a lot to digest in that, and hopefully, people will read your report as well. So, thank you very much, Abby. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's great to be here.